I want us to think this morning about that great theme of the providence of God. And uh, that reading this morning of how God dealt with Eli is a good illustration of it. Let me ask you a question. How do you uh, cope when difficult things, disturbing things are happening in your life? When you get bad news, perhaps, about your, your health or about your loved one? When your plans don't work out as you expected them to? What do we say? Eli just received some very bad news which affected him, his family, and his friends, the whole nation. How did he react? Well, our text makes it plain. Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Now, it's very easy to say when things are going well and there's no bad news on the horizon. But uh, that wasn't the case with Eli. It wasn't good news that he was receiving. Yet his response was, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his own eyes. Our response to news, good or bad, will depend entirely on our view of the providence of God. The doctrine of providence tells us that the world and our lives are, are not ruled by chance or by fate, but by God, who lays uh, forth his purposes very clearly in the word of God. And in especially the incarnation of his son, the Lord Jesus. By looking at the genealogy of the Lord Jesus himself, as we find in Matthew chapter 1, you find some surprising things there. That uh, Jacob's there, not, not the good boy Esau. He was one of the ancestors of Jesus. Ruth is there, this foreign woman that God had dealings with. David, Bathsheba, and Uriah, they're all in the list of his ancestry. Clearly, Eli believed in the providence of God. And thus was enabled to make this prayer of absolute surrender. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. It's a good place to come, but you need grace to come to that place of absolute surrender. Look at this more closely. What does this teach us? The providence of God teaches us, firstly, that God is active, sovereignly. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. There are several important things contained in Eli's words which will help us, I hope. Get this, the Lord is active in the life of every one of his children, including you. Got that? God is active in your life and mine. God is doing something. And we need to come to that place where Eli came, let him do what is good in his eyes. Stop resisting what God wants to do and quietly in faith surrender to him. Do you believe, though, in the providence of God? Do you believe that God is active in your life? There's a divine activity going on, and many scriptures teach us this. Most of us here will be very familiar with Romans 8, 28. It begins by saying, we know. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is acting according to a his own divine purposes. 
In Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know whether you've heard of the character in history called Billy Bray. He was a, a Cornish uh, builder and preacher of some note. And uh, he needed a pulpit. And um, he was out looking for a pulpit when he came to a shop and he saw this corner cabinet. And he thought, well, that would be just right. I, I could make some adjustments to that and that would be a wonderful pulpit for me. So we asked the man how much he wanted for it and he told him and he had just the right amount. But how on earth was he going to get the pulpit home? He had no means of transport at all. And uh, so he said to the man, I want the pulpit. I can pay what you want, but I've got no way of getting it home. And the man said, well, that's a pity, isn't it? And uh, I do want to sell it. I'd like you to have it. And you've got the money. Yes, I've got the money. Well, he said, I tell you what, I'll deliver it for you. Billy Bray was absolutely delighted. His disappointment became God's appointment. The Lord is sovereign in his activity in the lives of all of his children. God is over all. He's supreme. And no one else can do anything to his child without his sovereign permission. Have you got that? Nothing can happen to you or me within the province of God unless he allows it and has a purpose for it. That's enough to make me say hallelujah. <laughs> That's good news for every believer here today. He is the Lord, he said. He didn't say it's fate or it's bad luck. He didn't even blame the devil, as some might be tempted to do so. He simply said, he is the Lord. I can't understand it, but he's at work. He's on the throne. I don't know whether you've ever read the book Through Gates of Splendor. It uh, was published in 1956. It tells the story of Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of one of the young men, the five young men who were killed by the Orca Indians. And um, you can imagine the tragedy and how she felt. But what was her reaction to it? Well, if my husband can't be there, I will be there. And she responded to the call of God, that inward constraint confirmed by others around her, that she was to go. And what uh, her husband and the others couldn't achieve, by God's grace, he opened the door for her, and she was able to do amazing things there. God's providence at work. Through tragedy, through disappointment, we see God can make something out of nothing. God is active sovereignly in all of our lives. And there are a number of truths that flow from this general truth. Firstly, the Lord is sovereignly active in the lives of his children according to a plan. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. I never tired of hearing that as a young Christian, you know, wondering what was ahead of me. Remember when you were young? <laughs> Some of you may still be young. And uh, 
We wondered what lay ahead. I was tremendously encouraged as our pastor constantly told us that God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. It really is an encouragement. There are many scriptures that assure us of this. I love Psalm 37, verse 23, that reads, If the Lord delights in man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him. And uh, there are three specific areas where this is really true. God has a plan and a purpose for your life with regard to your salvation. Uh, the Bible is clear. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wants everyone to come to repentance. Have you got that? If you're not saved at the moment, God wants you to be saved. God loves you. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior and mine. And when we embrace the Lord Jesus, we put our faith in him, then we are saved. God plans that for us. But it's more than that. God has a plan for our sanctification to make us holy. I love that verse in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. I struggled with that as a young man. But God's will is that you should be holy. It's not easy. <laughs> it's only by grace. God does that. But not only does God have a, a plan for our salvation and our sanctification, He's got a plan for our lives, for, for our service. Ephesians 2 verse 10 is one of the verses I memorized as a young man. For we are God's workmanship or work of art. Ever thought of yourself as a work of art? We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance to do for us. In every regard, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I want you to just let sink in for a moment. God has a plan and a purpose for every life here this morning. And secondly, what the Lord does in the lives of his children is always right. God never gets it wrong. If God is God, his activity must be right. Eli believed this. This is why he said in that prayer of surrender, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. Because after all, God never makes a mistake. There may be times when we wonder about that, when we might even question what God is doing. But I want to assure you today, on the authority of God's word, God never makes a mistake. Therefore, there is no need for us to question his ways, and certainly it would be wrong to do so, ever to think that he is unjust, for instance, in his dealings with us. Why are we slow to believe that God's ways are always right? Because we can't always see what God is doing yet. It's only in hindsight that we can look back and say, ah, he was right after all. In John 13, verse 7, that precious passage that Jesus taught his disciples before going to the cross. Jesus wanted to wash the feet of his disciples. Remember that story? And Peter resisted, saying, no, not this, Lord. And Jesus said to him, and there's truth in this, 
You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And he's not only saying that to Simon Peter, he's saying it to you and me. You don't understand what I'm doing yet, but you will come to understand what I'm doing. It's for your good and my glory. In Psalm 138, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. In other words, don't give up on me, Lord. Keep on working out your plan in my life. Fulfill your purposes in, me, in and through me. So we've seen that God is active in the lives of all of his children. He's sovereign in all that he is doing. He's working according to a plan. He's doing what is right. And what he's doing is always for our good and his glory. Do you believe that? Perhaps you could say amen. Convince me. You believe that God is working for your good and his glory. Amen. Now consider the right response to what God is doing. The providence of God teaches us that we too must be active submissively. We have to gladly yield to the will of God. Like Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. I wonder if you've come to that place in your life when you can say that. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. In all of God's dealings with us, whether they be pleasing or painful, whether we understand them or not, our response must be one of prompt and questioning and complete submission and trust. This was Eli's response. It was prompt. There was no resignation to God, nor was there any resentment, and certainly there was no rebelliousness. It was a quiet submission to the Lord himself. I wonder, have you ever come to that place? Are you able to come there now when you can say, have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your way. Why is this so important? Because if God is to fulfill his purpose in you and me, we must be willing to respond gladly. For trusting in the providence of God is the way of victory, of overcoming every obstacle and every temptation. Consider the story of Job again, which is a classic illustration of the providence of God. In Job 1, verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. In all this, in all of the testings and trials that Job went through, he never sinned, nor did he charge God with any wrongdoing. And we know that because of his faith and his submission, the end of Job's life was much greater and better than its beginning. <laughs> Listen to the testimony of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. It is the Lord's will to rescue me from every evil attack, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great word of confidence that is and triumph that Job uttered. And as he waited for his martyrdom, what a great word of quiet trust fell from the lips of the Apostle Paul. 
Trusting in the providence of God is the way of victory, of overcoming. But trusting in the providence of God is also the way of serenity. I often look to Isaiah 26 and verse 3. It's a lovely, lovely verse. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Are you in that place of knowing God's perfect peace? He promises, it's a promise, he'll keep us in perfect peace. Who? Him whose mind is steadfast, or her, because she trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord is the rock eternal. While we live independent lives, wanting to go our own way, we can never know that perfect peace that he, he promises. But once we learn to place ourselves and all that concerns us into, his loving, into our loving Heavenly Father's hands, then we can know this perfect rest. I wondered about the Apostle Paul, you know, when I read in Philippians 4, he said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Have you come to that place yet? Uh, I, I have to confess, I haven't. Even at my advanced age, I have to say, I am learning to be content. But the Apostle Paul could say, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself in. If I really believe that God is sovereign in my life, that he's working out his plan in my life, that he loves and he cares for me, how can I be restless and discontented? But so often we are. And trusting in the sovereignty of God is the way of not only knowing victory and serenity, but also being a blessing to other people whose lives we touch. Eli's demise in the, in the providence of God was to make way for Samuel to be raised up. And what a man of God he was. In 1 Samuel 3, Verse 21, we read, The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. What a man. What a time he lived through. God knows what he's about, and God raises up his child, whether it be a lady or whether it be a man, for such a time as this. Let me encourage you to rest back in the arms of your loving Heavenly Father who's working out His purposes in your life. He loves you. He demonstrated it when He sent Jesus to the cross of Calvary. He went there for you to show you how much He loved you and to make atonement for our sins Hallelujah. And because he loves us, he is committed only to allowing those things to touch our lives that he can use for our good and his glory. I hope that you can come to that place when you can say with Eli, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And if you're not there yet, If there's still a note of rebellion in your life, it has to be confessed. 
We have to go to Calvary again. Thank God for Calvary. I know a place where sins are washed away. I know a place where night is soon today. Burdens are lifted. Blind eyes made to see. There's a wonder-working power in the blood of Calvary. Come there if you need today. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I can't but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. 